I think I need to be a voice for patients because when you walk into the doctor's office and you say, I'm so tired, I can barely get dressed or, you know, I, I feel like I'm not keeping up. There's often, oh, you're a mom of kids. Oh, you're a, you work. Oh, you're just not sleeping well. Um, or there's just the eye rolling, like, ugh, you're just a non-compliant whiny patient. Right. And I feel like having, they, I feel like we need an advocate, uh, patients that have the chronic fatigue syndrome. Now they know that there is definitely an inflammatory immune process in, involved, but the research is still lagging. Um, well, not the research too much. Research is, is there. The clinical expertise and understanding is lagging. So I think that's why people like myself that have experienced it, that are on the other side in academia, in research, in medicine, we need to be those patients advocates. So that's my big, my big platform. And that's Dr. Anna Herbst. She is my guest on today's podcast. She graciously and vulnerably shares her personal story of chronic fatigue and literally pulling herself out of it through trial, error, and tenacity. She talks about her journey through illness into becoming a naturopath and then becoming an MD, as well as one of the pioneers at the Center for Functional Medicine at the Cleveland Clinic, to where she is now in her own blended clinic for primary care and functional medicine. This conversation is inspiring and critically important for many reasons. We talk about chronic fatigue, what is missing from conventional medicine, and how her book, Functional Medicine and Primary Care, hopes to bridge the gap between allopathic medicine and functional medicine, as well as practical advice for those who are dealing with chronic fatigue and want to ask the right questions and get the right testing to find the root cause. I'm honored to have Anna on my podcast and happy to reconnect with her after so many years. I know you will enjoy this conversation, but also find it meaningful for you or anyone you know suffering from chronic fatigue, and not finding the answers you seek. So enjoy the listen, and I'll see you on the other side. I really would love to just hear your story, because so many people who get into functional medicine end up coming from a personal story. So, and I know you have that, um, you've shared it in your book, which is fantastic. We're going to talk about that. Um, but welcome and, and start out where, where this, this journey started for you. Okay. Thank you. Yes, you're right. It is, uh, how a lot of people get into functional or integrative type of, uh, practices. So started really probably when I was about eight years old. Um, we moved to Oklahoma at the time and I was a, an outdoor tree loving kid. Um, and I spent pretty much every day with my sisters outside tromping around in the forest in the, in the woods. And every evening uh, really entailed a bath, but also a tick check. So that sort of sets the pretext. Um, I started having really, really bad headaches uh, and stomach problems. And my mom, my family were the hippies that we are. We really didn't, we didn't go very often unless it was getting bad. And this really was getting bad enough that I was having headaches, really severe headaches every other day. Um, I'm just crying with stomach cramps and so forth. So they took me to the doctor and the doctor's solution was that I was allergic to my stuffed animals, sadly. 
<laughs> he thought I should take all my stuffed animals out of my room. And we tried that and it didn't get better. So just chalked it up to, it's just who I was and it's how my life was probably just going to be. So I trucked along in life and, and my family's a very strong, we're, we're strong, independent, hardworking people. And it's a really much appreciated trait, but on the flip side, it meant that I just pushed through. And so as I went along, um, my ailments became part of who I was. And it really didn't truly really slow me down because I was that typical type A, go get them perfectionist. So adding all of that together with what I think looking back was most likely a tick-borne illness, um, you know, just kept progressing. It kind of waxed and waned through life. And, um, you know, I had some crazy exposures. I was a swimmer and a diver. So there was a lot of chlorine exposure since I was, a you know, mid-teen on up through my latter teens. Um, and then, you know, we had moved and lived overseas. I had several interesting exposures as I traveled abroad and did mission trips. And so over time, these things, I think, accumulated. Uh, when I was in residency, I did get better as I progressed through my journey. Uh, I was at a young adult. After I had my first child, I crashed completely. Um, and that was kind of the breaking point where I said, you know, I've got to get better. Something's got to give. Um, and so I had, I had tried many, many, many different specialists, uh, in the medical world without really much help. Um, this is a condensed version, obviously I feel like I'm rushing. Yeah. But, no, but the idea was that I, I really tried everything, uh, in the conventional medicine world. And it was at this point, I was married, newly married. It was actually really taking a toll on my relationship because we were used to me being at least, if you compare me to the norm, I was pretty active. Um, and then suddenly I wasn't able to be active. And so the fatigue really set in and I was just barely able to, to do or to function uh, with basic activity, daily living type stuff. I mean, just cooking dinner and breastfeeding a child was pretty much all I had. Um, so it had gone from go, go, go to nothing quickly and no answers. And there was all kinds of ways that it was manifesting. So there's joint pain and the muscle pain and the fatigue. And then there's a lot of vaginal pain and just strange, strange uh, joint pains that would move all around. And so anyway, that was my, my journey, but I was really not set on settling for, well, it's just who you are. And then the blanket chronic fatigue fibromyalgia back in the early nineties wasn't really a cool diagnosis. It was kind of got the eye rolling as we went, <laughs> as we went along. That still happens today, right? Yes, it does, unfortunately. And I think that's something that we need to help make, make more aware. But anyway, that's uh, kind of the progression. And then I finally just said, I've got to do something uh, since I'm not getting help. So that's when I got into juicing and changing my diet and just reading and reading. And I became a very voracious reader. Um, and that led me to eventually doing my naturopathic degree, really mostly for personal growth. Yeah. Um, and, and because, you know, you, some of the things that you implemented, you started to feel better. I mean, it yes. took a long time, yes. but yes. Like no, and as soon as I started it in that really, when I made that commitment after my daughter was born, um, and I started changing, I started realizing there was way more to this and I was feeling a little bit better. The sad part is I would get a little better and then I would plateau or go backwards. I would get a little better. And so I did that on and off for a good, probably six plus almost nine years, really. Um, cause I really didn't have a formalized direction. Right. Uh, 
know, it was, it was a lot of trial and error and reading and finding, oh, this fits me. And that's the sad part is, as you know, even in medicine, when you list a, a bunch of symptoms, you're going to say, oh, that fits me. And then I'll do this. And anyway, it was often a little bit of disappointment and a lot of gain and a little gain and a lot of disappointment and back and forth. So anyway, that was the journey. But as I continued to get better and as I continued to learn, I really found a passion, you know, just getting myself well. And people kept saying, oh, you should teach people this because I would just share if they'd ask um, you know, what I had learned. And so I ended up getting, uh, I would say, probably 70 to 80 percent well. Um, and for when you come from zero to 70 to 80 percent, that's a drastic change. And so you, you can do anything. Yeah. So I did a lifestyle counseling business at that time. Uh, I was still staying at home with my children. So I was, you know, taking them with me on my journey. At one point I even, this is funny, I didn't have any money and I was uh, needing some herbs and some, uh, you know, counseling for the alternative medicine world. And this lady was so kind in Atlanta and I really don't remember her name. I wish I do, but she was willing to allow me to pack my children, one on the front, one on the back and stock shelves so that she could help me in exchange for herbals and, and vitamins and nutrients. Oh, wow. I did that for a little while. Yeah, that was over in, uh, in Georgia. So anyway, so I've learned a lot of things throughout this process. But my lifestyle counseling business was really amazing. And it was a big growth for me. One, it was a business, which I wasn't business minded per se. Thank goodness my parents had instilled some sorts of responsibility and budgeting. Parents? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they have a really conservative side to them. So it was a, this is good. My mom's more the hippie. <laughs> but anyway, as we progressed through that, um, I learned a little bit about business, but I learned a lot about people um, and about how everybody has a story. Number one, the story needs to be heard because there's a lot of clues in it. So this is way back before health coaching was even really thought of, I don't think, I didn't know anything about it. Um, and it definitely was way back before functional medicine. So this is in the latter nineties, um, I'm doing this. And so I was really sort of forging a new path because I became what I would consider kind of a health coach. I was telling them lifestyle changes, sleep, uh, relationships, you know, we were just really going back to the basics and I was, you know, oftentimes getting paid a little, but a lot of times it was bartering chicken, eggs, deer meat, the whole nine yards. Oh, so you, you <laughs> kind of converged the hippie stuff with your, I did. Yeah. Yeah. So it just naturally evolved. And then, uh, two years into that, as the practice kept growing or the, the business kept growing, um, and my health really kept accelerating in the positive light. They were just feeling really great. And my children were getting older when my youngest one went to kindergarten, I decided to go to medical school. So that began the medical school part of it. There's the type A personality, right? What's that? There's the type A personality, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Well, that was always my desire. My mom says, even in third grade, I was constantly taking care of my classmates. So there was always a desire to go. And when I was in college and undergrad, I was really so sick with chronic migraines that I knew I wouldn't make it through med school. Like there was no way, yeah. no way possible. So I just put that on the back burner. So this was something that had kind of come full force at this point. So I went on to med school, which was great. Um, I did osteopathic school because I feel like they had that sort of holistic, more holistic medical approach, although some use, some don't. And then um, when I was in residency, I decided that I needed to figure out a way to bridge the two worlds. That was in my mind, respectable and acceptable because without the the little bit of that left brain blend, I felt like it, it 
unfortunately, my naturopathic world didn't get the same amount of respect. It was a hush under the table. Tell me what you know. Can you treat my mom and dad? You know, those sorts of things. But there was a a little bit of like, we needed a little bit of left brain thrown in there, in my opinion. So that's where I found functional medicine. um, And that helped me bridge the the gap between those two worlds. So you did your training in functional medicine before you even became a physician, right? A DO? Like- no. So I was a naturopath first and then yeah. a DO. And then during my residency, I did mm-hmm. the training. Okay. Okay. When I went out to practice. I did family practice and functional medicine blended in a rural Oklahoma yeah. uh, where I started. Yeah. So that was my journey. Um, and I just have to, it was, it was an amazing journey. I've learned a ton. Um, my real passion that I quickly realized when I was out in practice was that we were functional medicine is amazing. And it, it is, um, it's really the, I think one of the biggest and best solutions we have to our chronic disease problem, uh, in the healthcare system, but the challenge is it doesn't fit into our current healthcare model. And so the, the likelihood of you finding a primary care doctor that's allowing or allowed to spend the time that they need to get the history, the time that they need to process your information and make a really good solid plan for your treatment and wellness, and the time they need to coach you through that, i.e. your role, and the time that they need to teach you about nutrition is not there. There's no way it just doesn't, it doesn't fit right now. So that's what they're doing at Clinic Clinic, trying to change that, trying to see how it's going to fit into the insurance-based model. And I've done all the, the worlds. I've done insurance. I've done blended. I've now done doing cash practice. So I'm, I'm learning the difference, but I think my passion is still to try to help primary care doctors see that there's even small things that we can do that can make a drastic difference in people's lives. Um, and so if we can implement those, that's our first step. So that's really become my big, my big hotspot. That's why I wrote the book. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, the book is, is fantastic. I'm, I'm going to step back a little bit to your personal mm-hmm. story and, and really thank you for sharing that because <laughs> story that I hear so often from people that are reaching out to find a functional medicine physician that for years they've been sick. They've got all these symptoms. Like you, you started to think in that systemic way, right? Systems biology way back when, when you said to yourself, all these things I think have to be related. Like somehow, even though I'd go to this specialist, I'd go to that specialist, you have to think about it differently, which is why you sought Mm -hmm. out functional medicine really way back as one of the pioneers of functional medicine, I think too, just in, and, and blending all of that. So when, when you were going through all of this and the, the frustration that you found, it, it led you to where you are now. I always wonder, like, would you still consider yourself a type A person or have mm. you did that in a way that supports you a little bit more? Yeah, I've definitely uh, changed and evolved. I have one of my biggest and best practices has been my spirituality, my meditation practice, um, because if, if I continue to stay in that competitive edge, it's a positive thing, especially in the business world, but on the side, it it about killed me. So uh, I had to learn how to be maybe an (laughs) AB. I don't know. Is there an A minus? Yeah. So I still am very driven, but I also realize there's a very large uh, part of my life that needs to be balanced. So my biggest priority is my health and my family and my social, you know, my community, my network, because that's what makes me healthy. 
And if yeah. I'm not healthy, I can't achieve my goals. And if I can't achieve my goals, then I can't help anybody. So you really have to really put that as a priority. Um, well, that's out of all of that. Yeah. And, and, you know, most, there's a lot of people that I work with that tend to be in that place where they, they are self-proclaimed type A personalities. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I always say, hmm, okay, so let's talk about that a little bit. And right. is it something that you're really connected to? Because definitely it brings you to places that maybe other people would never get to because mm-hmm. they're not as driven yeah, leaderish leader, like you leader, know, exactly that. Yeah, and it, but it, but you find a balance because you have to find that balance because otherwise, you have it's to take you down. Um, yeah. so I always pull away from that and say, well, how could we like describe this differently, or mm-hmm. what other characteristics can you bring into this that are really right. healthy for you? Because as you're saying, like it goes back to priorities or values in your life. And yes. those things were always priorities to you and values, yet what you were doing on a daily basis probably wasn't supporting those as much as when you realized, okay, this contributes to my not feeling so great. That is very true. When you finally are able to say, no, I can't do that. That was huge for me. Uh, and by the way, writing my story, I was going to tell you this earlier, writing my story required a ton of vulnerability. And, and, and for me and my personal type and the way I grew up, I, I was the listener. Cool. Love being the listener, love being the problem solver, but not really being vulnerable, not my strength. And so I was asked by my two mentors uh, that were kind of uh, reading and editing the book along the way. um, They said, you have to tell your story. So I set that book on the shelf for six months didn't touch it. No way was I telling my story to anybody and everybody that picked up that book. That is, that's the biggest vulnerability you could ever think of for me. Anyway. And so that was really huge. Um, but I learned through the process of also, um, you know, with my children, they taught me, were teaching me how to be vulnerable as well and how important that is. And so I think right, we need to let go of what we labeled ourselves because it doesn't make me less of a leader. It doesn't make me um, weak or wimpy, which is what I was afraid of. I thought I knew that I had crumbled to the floor and wasn't able to fix a salad and breastfeed my baby at one point that I was no longer the person that I thought I was. And so letting go of all of that was probably some of my biggest growth. The other big thing that probably helped, and this sounds really trivial in, in medicine, we don't typically talk about the emotional or the spiritual part, but I was afraid of failing and afraid of letting people down. And so when you, when you finally dig down deep, what's your biggest fear, when you are able to release that, you can start growing like leaps and bounds. And I think that was huge for me because every time I would try a new herbal treatment or I would try a foot bath or I would try something and I couldn't really explain it. Maybe it helped a little. Somebody would say, Oh, but I thought it was helping. How come you're not better? And I felt like failure again. So then you get afraid to try, or you get afraid to, to research, or you get afraid to question, or you get afraid to challenge the next person that offers you something. And so it, it was holding me back. So when I finally just released that whole fear of failure thing, that was huge for me. Oh, huge. Uh, and such a, a yeah. moment of, of clarity that, that I think other patients could also benefit from so much because, Hope so. because that's what happens in functional medicine, right? We try things and sometimes they don't work and it takes a lot right. longer than you think it's going to take. 
and the patience piece around that, but, but also stepping back to what you're saying about that vulnerability. Thank you so much yeah, for being sure. vulnerable because that opens up so much for people to explore in their own lives. And I'll tell you, I use your example. I'm going to um, out you in terms of what you used to do at the Cleveland Clinic, which I think is, is actually <laughs> a sign of strength and a sign yeah. of, you know, really um, living what you're preaching, right? Mm-hmm. When everyone says to me, oh, well, I don't, I don't think I have time during the day to like take the time <laughs> to go meditate or to just have quiet time or anything like that. Uh-huh. I always say, well, listen, you know, I worked with the doctor at the Cleveland clinic who, you know, and that was a busy place, right? It wasn't like, well, yeah. And it was not a place where you could be wimpy by the way, or take by time. The way. Right, right, right. Yet you protected that for yourself because you knew you needed it. And here's the story is that I would see you take your pillow and your, you know, mat and go and find a space for yourself to just be quiet. And I don't know what you did there, but that just the fact that you did that, I share that with people all the time. I say, (laughs) then where can you find those little moments? Because Mm -hmm. I think that's where the healing is in those little moments within the day. It's not necessarily I'm jamming in all this self-care before work mm-hmm. or after work. Those are important things to do, but it's like the little moments in between. Um, and they're yet- huge. It's like saying to the universe or to you or to, to your, your body, it's saying that I'm putting you as a priority. Like I only have two minutes right now and I can tell that you really need to unwind. So I'm listening and it is humongous. I know that sounds so esoteric because I'm pretty left brain still. But anyway, the point is it's a humongous. I used to lay. So I would go in that room in our conference room. You remember I turn off the light, I put a sticky note on the door that said I was praying or meditating. So nobody would bother me right. and lay down and just deep breathe. Um, and I, it was, yeah, it was amazing. It started in residency. I would go down to the parking garage and sit in my car um, for about five to 10 minutes. So I could just deep breathe, just settle down a little bit. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, what you're also saying there is that you created that space to actually be aware of it. Like, hello, my body is telling me something. Am I paying attention to it? Am I just going to push it away? And that, you know, for many years, you did do that. Right. And so like shifting that that's just beautiful that you kind of brought yourself through that whole, and it's always a learning journey, right? I mean, I'm learning to all the time, um, paying yeah. attention to it and not ignoring it is really the hardest part, but also creating right. that time. So, you know, some people get so disappointed, they'll, they'll treat, treat something and they're like, I'm not all the way better, but it's like that onion. I know everybody uses the onion analogy, but you peel back a layer and that was success on that layer. And now you have a new layer and then you have to pull back another layer. Sometimes you have many layers because if you're like me, you stuffed a lot of layers into your onion over the years by ignoring all of the the yelling and the screaming that the body was doing, you just kept ignoring it, ignoring it, ignoring it, ignoring it. And as you heal, it's sort of a process. Um, and I think you have to respect that process and appreciate the growth in the process. And once you do that, you just keep on growing and you just keep on growing. I'm still growing. I still honor my health and, and yeah. careful what I'm doing. Well, and easy. And you're, you're doing it. No, it's not easy for sure. No. I, mean, that's, I think the first answer is that it's n- not easy, but you're still doing it, but you're also such a great example for the people that you're working with. If you're a functional medicine physician or bringing in these, these qualities to 
um, your own life, it then shows the people that you're working with, okay, she's authentic. She's really doing, she's mm. walking the walk. And if she can do it, you know, I probably could do it too. And such yeah. a great example. Um, so I, I thank you for sharing about the type A and that you feel like A minus, A, B, because I do think- Yeah, I'm not sure what the next A and the next ones are, to be honest. <laughs> what if we just throw it out and we don't label Let's it? Let's get rid of it. We just, kind of just go with what we feel intuitively is the best way yes. for us to you know, experience mm-hmm. our life and grow. Um, you know, So talking about, like, would you label what, talking about a label now, um, mm-hmm. You know, we talked a little bit about the chronic fatigue syndrome and that, you know, back then and even now, it's not really an accepted diagnosis and even the ME that you're talking about um, in your book. So talk to me a little bit about the difference between that, um, because that chapter I found really, really fascinating. Um, So this this is your, your passion to help people understand. Yeah, it is. So I, I think I need to be a voice for patients because when you walk into the doctor's office and you say I'm so tired I can barely get dressed or you know I, I feel like I'm not keeping up there's often oh you're a mom of kids oh you're a, you work oh you're just not sleeping well um, or there's just the eye rolling like you're just a non-compliant whiny patient right and I feel like having they I feel like we need an advocate uh, patients that have the chronic fatigue syndrome now they know that there is definitely an inflammatory immune process in, involved but the research is still lagging um, well not the research too much research is is there the clinical expertise and understanding is lagging so I think that's why people like myself that have experienced it that are on the other side in academia, in research, in medicine, we need to be those patients advocates. So that's my big, my big platform. And having said that, what I mean by that is every person's chronic fatigue syndrome that I've experienced and worked with over the years, there is different etiologies, different root causes. So some it's a perpetuated and triggered by a viral something or other. Um, sometimes it was a really stressful event in the perfect brewing storm of, you know, bad gut issues, uh, an old monovirus that they had in college that reactivates. And I'm seeing that, especially with COVID now, COVID is reactivating a lot of these Epstein-Barr, uh, viruses that are sort of dormant and hanging around or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so yeah. you could have a milieu of things that are sort of your driver, toxicity, you know, uh, heavy metal. I, I had horrible genomics. So that means I didn't clear very well, especially for our heavy metals. And we lived overseas and abroad. We drank well water as a kid. Like there was a lot of uh, metal exposure for me. And so that was another layer that I learned about myself that was contributing that slows down ATP. So my mitochondria don't work well, then I get more and more toxic. And so this is a little vicious cycle that was going on there. So these are the areas that I look and I, I respect that not one person has the same recipe mm-hmm. for fatigue or the myalgia encephalitis, which is that brain fog that comes with the severe fatigue. That's what that is. That's a yeah. fancy word you're saying. You got bad brain fog and fatigue mixed together. Um, so anyway, I think that every person has a different um, recipe, so to speak. And so we have to figure out those based on their history. And then you just keep working at it. And it's not even a linear, we do this and that's fun. We do this, that's gone. We do this, that's gone. That's not how it works. It's a, bodies are so complex. There's a waxing and waning. You may treat 
viral stuff for a while and then you have to work on something else and you, oh, virus is coming back. Okay, well, let's do a little immune modification here. And so I think we're learning. I always tell my patients, you're at the mercy of my learning curve. I am constantly learning new things and I'm humbled to say, I don't have it all figured out. And if anybody tells you they do, they're wrong. Um, right. We just kind of keep going and we listen to the body and we keep addressing what we can. And we listen to the story and we look back and say, what did we miss? Um, and we help them navigate that. Uh, so I think that's really important when you're talking about chronic fatigue. It's not a one size fits all. Never. Right, right. And I, I love what you're saying about <laughs> that it's not linear because mm-hmm. that is so important for people to understand too. Because I think we've been trained through conventional medicine, you give medications and you get better mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. it, right? And yeah, you have A, take B and you're good. Exactly. Yeah, that's not the case, right? I mean, (laughs) but you're also not getting to the root cause when that happens. Mm -hmm. And I think we're, you know, part of what you're talking about is retraining and and helping physicians to understand and how to treat someone who comes in with these symptoms. And but also on the patient side of it, which is what I found from the book. I'm not a physician, but I feel like, wow, what a great book, what a great resource for people to use to be able to ask the right questions to the the physician. And also what you're saying, like if someone thinks they know it all or they're not willing to entertain those questions, Mm -hmm. maybe it's time to find a new physician, somebody who Mm -hmm. is a little more open-minded to that. And I think more physicians are really coming to that place. I hear more and more about GI or endocrinologists or rheumatologists who are happy to hear, okay, you're doing functional medicine. Let's combine the two because I mm-hmm. think that's what yeah. power is too. Um, it makes us feel more um, fulfilled when we're helping our patients. Most people go into medicine or into the healthcare world because they want to help because that's, yeah. that's their passion, their desire. When you start writing scripts and you're doing the pill for an ill, you start getting burned out because patients aren't really truly getting well. Um, and you feel like you're letting them down. And when you start feeling like you're letting them down you either wall yourself off and just keep doing what you're doing you get frustrated some sadly commit suicide you know i'm like it it's pretty severe so i feel like being that advocate for both sides and saying hey here's some other ideas and then also helping the patients have that dialogue it's encouraging the growth um and you're right i think more and more physicians are saying well maybe there is something to that and i think it's coming because there's amazing scientists and people doing the research and trying to get it published and putting it out there I can't anecdotally that, you know, this worked for me, that doesn't really fly, unfortunately, in our, in our society, the way we've been trained. So, well, you're right. I mean, I think the research, you know, you need to have that, that basis of some Mm -hmm. evidence-based research to really support some of the things you're doing because you could do, but what the other thing that I'm going to pull out from what you just said about burnout with physicians And I just did another podcast with Stephen Post, who likes to call that, I think he called it um, either moral or ethical fatigue, because as you're saying, like a pill for an ill doesn't allow you to really get connected to that patient and really listen to them and figure out what's going on with them. And when you can have that empathy, compassion, and connection to someone, because you're able to create this space where you can talk to them for longer than seven minutes, longer than five minutes, right? And Mm -hmm. really understand where they're coming from. That's the big part of of functional medicine as well, with especially with chronic fatigue syndrome. 
you can understand and sit and talk to them and get their story, just like your yeah. story, right? I mean, you went through that very quickly, but that's what you do with your patients too, is you get, you connect with their story, you figure out, okay, what are some of the, the factors that are kind of layering on top of each other that might be creating some of this here? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I do it in practice in rural America. You can do it as a primary care physician that's taking insurance and on a limited uh, time with the patient. It means you have to do it in lots of little chunks, mm. but you it. Um, and then you can make a difference in small areas and get them on the right path to maybe someone like you or, or someone that can really help sort of navigate the rest of the journey. But yeah, you can, and you can do it so you can prevent that, you know, ethical burnout because it starts to hurt. It starts to hurt your heart. It hurts your, it just changes your whole, who you are. I've seen it happen in my friends and my colleagues. It's, it's, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that goes back to priorities, right? You got to make a choice about what you, how you want to practice. And sometimes it's not the choice that's going to keep you in the place that you thought you might be. Um, but that choice speaks to your soul. And that's so important. That's another basic piece of what we help people understand. Um, I've seen so many people who go in as functional medicine patients who start to go, oh, how, how can I do this as a, a living? How can I actually shift what I'm doing? Nurse practitioners, dietitians, mm -hmm. they start mm -hmm. to look at it from a different perspective. And all of a sudden they've create, they're going to IFM or they're, they're doing yeah. work for functional medicine because yeah. once, once you've sort of opened yourself up to this, you can't go back. That's how That's I right. do the speech there. That's right. That's true. <laughs> you can't turn around and go back. I know you just have to keep going forward. I, to be honest, I could have stuck with being, after I left Cleveland Clinic, I started doing hospitalist work and it was amazing. It was seven days on, seven days off, easy peasy, no call, just go in, do your job, get out. But the functional medicine side of me, the passion, the journey I had been on was still there. And so, you know, starting a business where you're doing a combined family practice and functional medicine in a new area that you'd have no context in is the next step in my journey. And I started in Benville and <laughs> I tell you, it is, um, it's definitely not the easy route. It's terrifying. I'm yes. not making any more money. I'm going to make you way less money. So that was motivating it, you know, so it's really, uh, like you said, once you taste the Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't say that. It was in my head. I thought yeah, I, I could say that, but, but it's yeah. True. I guess it's not a good analogy for functional medicine. We don't usually do a lot of shit. Well, the only reason I, I, you know, I think that is because sometimes people think like functional medicine is like voodoo. Well, it's not. It's lifestyle stuff. Like really, lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, but so so when we talk about lifestyle, tell me like with chronic fatigue syndrome and people uh -huh. who come in with maybe um, the ME or or any of the, that fatigue, right? That's like a yeah. big, big symptom for Severe. a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Where do you start? Well, first, of course, the history. Um, typically, in most all chronic fatigue or myalgic encephalitis type people, ME people, you're you're looking at severe mitochondrial insufficiency. You know, so we have lost the powerhouses. They're not doing what they're doing, uh, should be doing to optimally. And so they're not detoxing. They're not repairing. They're not able to recover from exertion, which is, you know, a telltale sign of true chronic fatigue. If I ask someone, 
how long does it take you to recover from walking around the block? And they say two days. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're, we're definitely into that serious fatigue. So my first thing usually is to make sure that basics are optimal. Thyroid, uh, endocrine system, adrenal support. Um, GI would be, if there's a severe GI component, you want to optimize that as well, but quickly get them nutrient optimized because the, they need the powerhouses to heal the gut. They need the powerhouses to detox. They need the powerhouses to make thyroid work properly. So those mitochondria are really important. So for them, it's usually nutrient testing first and optimizing basic nutrients, knowing that when you start fixing the foundational stuff, the GI, the thyroid, the whatever, you're going to have to go back and reassess that nutrient need because it's not going to be the same. But I think something different than in typical functional medicine, we usually start GI first, you know, like there's this foundational GI thyroid kind of first. And then, but what I found with the true chronic fatiguers that doesn't work because they don't have the capacity to heal gut or to fight infection in the GI tract or to take care of overgrowth or whatever. They just habits. You've got to replace the gasoline. I say, I always say you got to fill up your tank with gasoline first. Then we can start peeling all these little layers down here, get things sort of normalized on the foundational level. And then we can work our way through those other things that could be causing things to be worse. Yeah. So that's I do it. It's a little bit different than uh, traditionally trained functional medicine, but that's what my experience has led me to do now. Yeah. So basic nutrient deficiencies. How do you, how are you evaluating that? What's your tool? So um, obviously physical exam, um, of course, that helps a ton. But then I do like a basic um, urine and a blood test. So assessments, I just look at the, you know, vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, amino acids, and there's several of those uh, mineral uh, heavy metals and things like that. So I just kind of get a basic foundation of what we've got going on from a blood and urine type assessment. Mm -hmm. Those are direct measures. Some are indirect metabolites but it gives you an idea where the patient is right now. Yeah. And I always tell people vitamin needs fluctuate through the day. So any test you do varies, obviously. It's not like a set in stone, you have this level and that's the level you have all day long. That's not the case, but it gives you an idea where we're starting. Right. Where are you in this range? And so we just top off the areas that we need to and uh, make sure there's no excess toxicity from a nutrient standpoint. Cause I've had patient patients come in taking a ton of selenium for instance, and that can make things worse. So there's some excess sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, nutrient needs topped off thyroid and adrenal for sure, because that's usually pooped out too, or not, not optimal. Yeah. And then tackle usually GI and, and work our way through things after that. Yeah. As we said, it's, it's a, it's a process, but you have to figure out where to start first. And with your experience, you've realized that, you know, the nutrient deficiencies are really where you you have to start to give them that good gasoline and, and Mm -hmm. talking about vitamins, like you've got a whole chapter on vitamin D, how important. Yeah. Yeah. It is so important. And you know, we're learning more and more about that hormone. So it's really actually a hormone, interestingly enough. But, you know, I'm, I'm doing a ton of genomics and I, I kept over the years, people would come and we test vitamin and D and they think, why are you testing it? I'm out in the sun all the time. Well, there's a lot of components to this whole sun thing, you know, the angle and the time you're out there and blah, blah, blah. And so what I kept seeing was 
low, 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 low constantly. And there was a curiosity to me, like, why is everybody so darn low? And then why can they go up really fast when you give them a big dose? And then when the doctor says your normal range, stop taking it, it plummets back down into the toilet. And so then they come to see you and it's really low and they're like, but it was high. And so anyway, I have learned that a lot of people, a good percentage of the population, 20 and upwards, even 40% of the population have these little funny mutations where it makes it harder for them to get in the cell, or maybe it makes it harder for them to convert D2 to D3. It may even make it harder for them to actually transport it around where it needs to go. So there's a lot of factors that play into this, you know, how much sun do you get? What's your diet like? Um, what's your immune system like? So anyway, it's a great immune modulator. Um, it's also a great hormone, so it helps transport things. Um, it's good for insulin regulation. Like it's just an amazing little a molecule there. But um, anyway, so it's really important, especially during COVID. It's huge. Um, and they've even put out a good amount of literature about vitamin D and the importance of optimizing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just told the, I gave a lecture yesterday and said, anybody that comes to see me isn't just average. They're clearly looking for something better. They want to be better. They want to be healthier. So when you look at a reference range, we don't look at average. We're not looking to make you just average. I want you optimal. And so that's the perspective or the lens that I use. <laughs> so right. anyway. And your and optimal is what? What number would be optimal? Like in 50 to 70, 50 to 70, your sweet spot's usually 60. If you look at the literature, you can see that obviously lower is not great. Um, there's tons of suggestion you need above 50. But if you go above 70, there is a there is supporting evidence that you can be above 70, still be okay. But there's there are enough bits and pieces of good literature that says that you could really cause some problems when you get above 70. So we try to keep it in that sweet spot, 50 to 70. I would say 60 is an easy number to remember. So, um, you know, it is important to look at literature and really, you know, not get excess just because a little is good. Not doesn't mean a lot's always great. Better. Exactly. And I think what you're also saying is that it's important to really keep testing it and, mm-hmm. you know, understand yeah. where your personal levels around it um, yeah. really fluctuate. And the genomics yeah. thing is really key as well. It just. Is. And it's personalized medicine, right? You, you kind of mm-hmm. have to know who you are. Just because your neighbor is taking 50,000 units doesn't mean that you have to take 50,000 units. Exactly. If you have kidney problems, you got to reduce the dose. I mean, there's a lot of other parts in there. So you don't want to just willy-nilly take it because somebody like Dr. Herps on the podcast said that was really great. Not a good idea, but you do need to know that it's important and important enough to dialogue with the doctor who says that 30 is okay. It's not okay. Not okay. Yeah, 30. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, and, and that's why I think I love, we'll talk a little bit about your book because I know um, we're going to wrap up pretty soon, but Functional Medicine in Primary Care. I, I just, that's the name of your book. I'm going to link it. Um, we're also going to, you know, oh, put a lot of other things in the show notes as well. Um, but I think it's really an important book for every patient to look at and to read. I think so. It's really like a Bible of, okay, what do I need to pay attention to? It's broken down by different um, things that people might be experiencing autoimmune. It's, you know, the lifestyle components that we need to think about Mm -hmm. um, chronic fatigue, uh, vitamin D whole chapter on that, as I said, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, thyroid, cardiometabolic, all of those areas that, that I think are are chronic things that, that so Mm -hmm. many people in our um, communities are affected by, but also how do I talk to my primary primary physician about this? Because I have so many clients that say to me, you know what, like my doctor's really not open to me talking about this. And 
Um, you know, they don't do this kind of testing. And, you know, I think this is, this book is really helpful for people to figure out how do I get my doctor to even think about this in a different way? So the, the focus of it was exactly that. So physicians could respect it enough because I put in current literature. I put in references for them to look up if they wanted to, or at least make uh, them feel better when they order this so-called esoteric testing that makes them feel like they're justified in doing it. Because that's one thing that is, makes us fearful as physicians. We feel like it's not standard of care. Everybody's not doing it, so I'm afraid to do it. But if you have a, a book or you have a paper and it can help direct that, then I think that's important. So the other part of the book is to help the patient be able to dialogue and say, hey, this is really important and it looks like it could be related to what, I'm have com- what my complaint is or my concern is. Here's what I would like to see if we order and here's why. So then the, it supports, it gives the literature, it gives the left brain side for the doctor, it gives the patient the capacity to, to encourage the dialogue. So that was the whole point. And I took, you know, common ailments that we see in primary care. And I'm hoping that they can do exactly what you said. You can, I think in the, in the subtitle, it says a gift for um uh, physicians, a gift for your patients and patients, a gift for your physician. And that's the whole point is, Hey, you know, maybe, maybe we can have a better dialogue. I think we need to have a better dialogue because what's happening isn't working and, and functional medicine needs to be more in, in alignment with, with, it needs to be in place with primary care. So Thank you for writing this book. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, and tell welcome. me now, what, what? Tell me where you are right now. How you created this? I know oh, it's more than sure. even a few minutes, but but salt. Okay. Tell me about salt. Yeah, so salt health is a baby of mine. Uh, so a couple other partners uh, approached me right as I was leaving Cleveland Clinic, and they said, "Hey, we we have this dream," and they knew me from when I was in rural Oklahoma. And they said, we'd like to have sort of an under one roof, a dietitian, a health coach, a doctor, a spa, a gym. And then we'd like to have it where we all support each other and uh, make that sort of this, this health um, center for patients. And so I said, oh my gosh, it's been my dream. So we are here in Bentville. It's called Salt Health. And it's just that. It's a team approach to wellness. And whether you're coming in to be preventive and stay healthy, or you're trying to prevent something that's in the family history, or you're trying to optimize what you already have, or you have chronic illness and you're just frustrated and not getting healthy. It's like a full spectrum, all in one, everything. Uh, so it is truly primary care mixed with uh, functional medicine. Yeah. And you're doing it. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're making it happen. It's pretty cool, actually. It's yeah. a model, I think, that could be repeated, you know, around the country. And there are other models like this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. There are. Um, We we kind of we did a lot of research for a couple of years and um, about four years, actually, they did. Um, And there are types. There actually is nothing exactly like this, uh, which is interesting because it's a mix of that true family practice, Mm -hmm. the spa, the gym, the health coach, the physical trainer and all, and the massage therapists, and then the physicians. And so putting it all in one roof um, and making it affordable was really the key. Yeah, making it affordable, um, that, that's, that's, that's the key, but also providing all the, the tools that you're, you're giving people, it's, it's fantastic. I'm, I'm so happy to have reconnected with you and, and I know that you've, you've got to run um, because you've got a busy day, but 
Um, thank you for taking this time with me. And maybe we can dig into another topic another time. I can have you back sure. and we can um, kind of dig a little bit deeper into some of the other things that you're doing. But so yeah. appreciate the time that you've given me today. Anything that you want to leave with, with, um, with people who might be listening to this podcast, anyone out in the world seeking some answers? Yeah, don't be afraid to follow your truth. That's my number one. And number two... Uh, hats off to you, Karen. Keep the dialogue going. Uh, clearly, it's important, right? Yeah, it is. I, I'm super right. happy to do that. Thanks so yeah. much. Mara. Thanks, Karen. Bye-bye. Did I tell you that conversation would be inspiring? Thank you, Anna, for being part of the Full Capacity Living podcast. If you're interested in finding out more about Dr. Herbst and her clinic in Arkansas, make sure you check the show notes for more information. My passion for sharing this information is the reason I spend time interviewing, editing, and curating this content. Sharing the episodes and reviewing the podcast can help expand the reach, and I'm grateful for anyone who shares the podcast. If you like the episode, drop down below to write a review and rate the podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode, which features Marty Wolfson, who's a very unique chef nutritionist out of New York. That conversation was epic. So many important pieces of information there. As a reminder, the podcast drops every other Monday. And thanks for listening. Much gratitude. Stay well.